The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I'm also the editor of a newsletter called J. Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Trader Tracks is a letter that deals more with commodities and commodities futures trading, uh, and Roger Wiegand has compiled an excellent track record in the past uh, in picking uh, the right markets at the right time. Roger will be with me later in the show. Uh, in a couple of segments, he's going to be with me, uh, joining me as co-host with our main guest uh, later uh, in the show. Uh, Chen Lin has had a remarkable track record, uh, a great stock picker. Uh, his newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, it has done extremely well for, for subscribers. You can learn more about Trader Tracks about what is Chen buying and about my own newsletter uh, by going to our website at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, and you can go there or call my assistant, Claudio Bossi, for a low-priced initial trial subscription, and Claudio's number is 718-457-1426. That's 718-457-1426. We also have some uh, free uh, information for you at miningstocks.com, as well as Jay's watch list. That's 
jayswatchlist.com. Jay's Watchlist uh, is a site uh, that uh, discloses some of the companies that I'm looking at uh, for possible inclusion in my newsletter uh, in the future. And several of those companies have made their way into my newsletter. Those companies are also featured on this show from time to time. We do an interview with those companies as well as all the sponsors to this show. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to uh, Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thanks to each of you, we are now the number one show on the business channel of Voice America, and we're growing very, very rapidly. So thank you, uh, each of you. And we also, of course, want to thank our sponsors for making this show financially viable. And the spring season, just uh, this is the last session of the spring season, actually. Uh, so we want to thank our sponsors, those that have made this show possible through this last, uh, for, through these 13 weeks in the spring season. Uh, the sponsors for the first hour have been Barkerville Gold, American Bonanza, Merrick's Gold, Inc., Palangio Exploration, Tara Minerals, PMI Gold Corp., Crocodile Gold, and Bayfield Ventures Corp. After today's show, uh, we will have interviewed all of the CEOs of our sponsors. Today, in a few minutes, I will be talking to Brian Kerwin. He's the president of American Bonanza. And then after Brian, Frank Callahan will join me. He's the president of Barkerville Gold. Both of those companies are moving rapidly towards gold production, and both have significant longer-term exploration potential, in my view. And that's one reason why both of those companies, uh, well, really, the production prospects as well as the ability to build up much larger gold deposits in the longer run through exploration, that's the reason, those are the reasons that those two companies have been selected uh, for uh, purchase in my newsletter. Also in the second, how, uh, second hour of today's show, I will be talking to Douglas McQuarrie. Uh, Douglas is... Um, He's the president of PMI Gold Corporation, and uh, Douglas will be uh, with us, uh, as I say, during the third segment of the second hour. I believe this is the buying opportunity of a lifetime for gold mining stocks, uh, and I say that because the real price of gold has been rising very dramatically. The real price of gold has been rising very dramatically, as it has throughout history, during these major credit contractions. Bob Hoy has pointed out that over the last 300 years, there have been six of these uh, six of these major credit contractions, this being the sixth. The previous one was in the 1930s. And in each and every case, when people lose confidence in the monetary system, they go to gold. And they're also going to silver. We're seeing that happening as well. But gold is, is the first place, the first go-to, because gold has been money, not deemed so by, mar- by, by uh, politicians, but gold has been chosen as money by the markets. Uh, and Gold has been charged, uh, has been um, deemed money by the markets for some very good reasons that Aristotle identified many centuries ago. And let me just pass those on to you again because they make eminent sense. And you start to wonder why in the world do we use paper as money? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. But here's what Aristotle had to say why the markets have always chosen gold. First of all, gold is durable. That's why markets don't choose wheat. Gold is divisible. That's why markets don't choose diamonds. Gold is convenient. That's why markets don't choose lead. Gold is consistent. That's why markets don't choose real estate. And we'll be talking about real estate later today, but markets don't choose real estate as money. They choose it as a value, perhaps, but not as money. And gold has intrinsic value. That's why markets don't choose paper, paper money. Well, we have paper money. Why do we have paper money? We have paper money because governments choose paper money. Um, and they do it, of course, with the force of law and the force of guns. 
military, the police force. And once they choose to use and force paper on us, an unsuspecting public in the United States has gone along with paper money, not realizing the enormous amount of harm that paper money has caused and how it's led us to uh, the precipice of a financial disaster. Well, besides government, who else likes paper money? Bankers love paper money. Why do bankers like paper money? Bankers like paper money because they are given a license by government to print it and to use it as a means of counterfeiting operation, a legalized counterfeit, a legalized theft operation, which is what the bankers use paper money for. Well, sure, if you have an ability to print pieces of paper that you can use under the force of law and call that money, and you can create it at will, why wouldn't you like that? So bankers love paper money. They hate gold. Alan Greenspan understood this very well when he wrote back in 1966, Gold and Economic Freedom. And interestingly enough, Mr. Greenspan, uh, in as recently as 2003 or so, told Congressman Paul that he recently read that article and he would not change a word. In that article, Greenspan acknowledged that the reason governments like, uh, don't like gold and the reason they like paper money is that they can use paper money as a means of theft, a means of confiscation of wealth. And Greenspan acknowledged the fact that our freedoms are going to be lost if we give up real money, gold. So what's at stake here, folks, is a lot more than just uh, economic survival. It's, it's freedom. It has to do with our way of life. And the way of life that we in America have enjoyed for so long was made possible by free markets. And free markets, that's not paper money, because paper money wasn't chosen by free markets. Paper money was forced through the rule of law on the American citizens. And not uh, perhaps maliciously by politicians. In fact, Keynes and the other Fabian socialists understood very well um, that the, there was a need to, quote-unquote, educate Americans to understand why paper was better for them, why paper money was better for them. So we have been educated in the universities, in our schools. All Economics 101 students are taught, basically, that gold is a barbaric relic. And, and certainly, by the ruling elite... Uh, this has served their interests very well. But look at where it's gotten us. You have to realize that paper money is really debt money. Paper money is created, well, not by paper, but really by debt. So debt is the raw material from which paper money is created. Unlike gold, which is an asset money, as we just mentioned a little while ago, gold has intrinsic value. That's why we don't use paper or why the markets don't choose paper. So paper uh, money is debt money. So what happens every time that Mr. Bernanke prints more money? Guess what? We have a lot more debt. So debt is growing at a much more rapid pace than income is growing, which is why I believe in this environment, uh, with U.S. having the world's, uh, the world's um, reserve currency, why I think we're headed for a deflationary implosion, most likely a deflationary implosion. Now, most people think of gold as being the place to be uh, in an inflationary environment. But in fact, gold has worked extremely well during deflationary environments. And don't look at the nominal price of gold. Look at the real price of gold. What will an ounce of gold buy? And gold has risen very dramatically over the last number of, uh, of, of months uh, since the Lehman Brothers uh, debacle. As we pointed out, gold has almost tripled uh, the amount of Rogers raw material fund that it will buy compared to just before the Lehman Brothers 
failure in uh, August of 2000, in September, actually, of 2008. So what's happening now is we're seeing gold mining companies showing enormous, uh, very, very strong profits, big profit rise in gold mining companies, and that is fueling the gold mining industry. So I'm very proud to have as my sponsors junior gold mining companies that are developing gold mining projects, that are putting those projects into production. Uh, they are the real heroes. They are building wealth for our society, not the bankers, not the politicians. No, we need to go back to basic industry, and that's what this group of, of sponsors of this show are all about. Well, I should mention that our main guest today is uh, Kathy Fetke, and she is a real estate expert. She is a, a person who's a licensed realtor. She's going to talk about some opportunities in, uh, in real estate, uh, as well as the reality of where we are in the markets today. I think uh, if, when you consider that real estate is probably the most important sector in our economy, uh, has been the main bubble that has caused us to, uh, to, uh, to really move over to, the, to what I would consider is the precipice of disaster in our economy, then real estate, the big question is, where does the real estate stand now? Do we have a lot further to go on the downside? Are we near the, are we near the end of the decline? We're going to look to Kathy for some answers on that. I should say that Chen Lin is not with me today. Chen has said he's extremely bullish on gold. He's looking to Oceana Gold. Uh, Chen is going to be uh, listening in later to our next guest, who's Brian Kerwin. He is the president of American Bonanza. And American Bonanza is a company on my list, a company that I think has got great prospects to to grow profits and to move forward and build real wealth for our subscriber or for our uh, listeners and for the subscribers to my newsletter. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with Brian Kerwin of American Bonanza. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. 
I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, my first guest this week is Brian Kerwin. He's the president of American Bonanza Gold. Trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol BZA. Under the pink sheets, ABGFF, uh, about 100, just shy of 120 million shares outstanding. At 17 cents, gives it a market cap of around 20 million dollars. Pretty small, I'd say, for a company that's on the verge of production. But uh, anyway, let's hear what Brian has to say. Welcome, Brian, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. Pleased to be here. Well, it's good to have you back again. We, you were with us, I think, it was back along March or sometime a few months back, three or four two or three months ago. And I want to ask you, um, you know, before we finish our conversation, what has transpired since then? But, you know, Brian, we've had a lot of new listeners. We've almost doubled the number of listeners in the last uh, three or four months. So I would like to ask you if you could just give sort of an overview of your Copperstone Gold Mining Project, and that's in southwest Arizona. But if you could just talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, tell us about the mine, you know, it's an open pit, underground uh, grades and that sort of thing. Can you just give us some background information, basic information on your mining project? Um, sure. Um, well, the Copperstone project in western Arizona was actually mined as an open pit gold mine by a major mining company from 1988 to 1993, producing nearly half a million ounces of gold. They mined uh, what is essentially a mineralized fault zone. That fault zone continues um, below the pit, uh, but they were a large company and small tonnages were not uh, their cup of tea, and so they uh, abandoned the project. What we've done uh, is we acquired the project and discovered uh, high grade in that fault below the pit, and uh, we have delineated a resource. Um, we've completed a feasibility study on that, and um, we've uh, we've commenced the uh, uh, permitting process on that. Uh, we're we're busily uh, you know buying uh, equipment in order to put the thing into production. And um, so we're hoping that by the uh, fourth quarter or the first quarter, 
um, at the latest of 2011, we'll actually be producing gold. Um, it is a high-grade underground target. We, we're not looking at a great big strip and lay back to make a much larger pit to follow this. Um, we're actually, it's cheaper, more efficient, and environmentally more efficient uh, to go underground. And, um, and we're working off of a, a measured and indicated resource containing 313,000 ounces at over 10 grams per ton. Uh, it has beautiful metallurgy. It's all oxide. Uh, we can get very good recoveries. And um, at today's gold prices, uh, the margins are uh, very high. It is a, a very profitable venture, according to the uh, feasibility study, which was announced in February. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit more about the economics of that feasibility study. You mentioned 10 grams per ton, so that's roughly getting close to about a third of an ounce per ton for those that aren't used to the metric system. But uh, your cost per ounce, I think, as I recall, the first time we spoke was somewhere a little bit north, but not too far north, of $400 an ounce? Correct, 415 So uh, how many ounces do you expect to produce in the first, second, third year of, of production, let's say? Sure. The um, first three years average 46,000 ounces of gold per year. Okay, 46,000 ounces of gold per year. Let's say it costs, what, what is the number, like 425 or something like that? 415, 415. So 415. So if, if the listeners wanted to do a little bit of math, they wanted to look at a gold price today, which is uh, somewhat north of $1,200, you know, they could subtract out the $400 per ounce and multiply times 46,000, that would give them some sort of... Uh, at least in theory, uh, more than theory, really, would give them some uh, expected cash flow uh, per year for your project. That's right. And, and you can see from that, that, uh, that brief analysis, which is, um, you know, useful, um, that, uh, that this thing has, you know, very high returns. It is, it is for a company of our size, um, it is going to be generating cash, you know, that dwarfs our current market cap. You're talking cash per year more than what your current market cap is. Um, yes, the first three years, that's right. So we'd be looking at, I'm just doing a little bit of math here, 46,000 ounces at $1,200. Oh, darn it, 1,200 times 46,000 gives us $55 million in revenues against about $18 million in cost. Does that sound about right? Yes, those are close. Yeah, so, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, Twenty eight thirty million dollars. Your market cap. You're right. Your market cap is, as, as I just said, about twenty million dollars. That's right. And of course, you have to remember that you have to pay taxes and things like that on those numbers. But you uh, have to pay taxes, you know, and you have some capital expenditures too, Brian. Could you talk about that? How much is it going to cost yet for you to get this mine into production? The um, the capital cost, the total capital cost estimate in the feasibility study, including indirect costs, is seventeen point seven million dollars. Okay. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's the 17. So again, it's a payback, would be a payback of less than a year. That's right. At these gold prices, it pays back in in months, not years. Okay. It's unusual uh, for a mining company of any kind. Okay, but how are you going to finance that, Brian? Because we're looking at a 17 cent stock right now. Right, and uh, as a consequence of that, um, the the option that we have to issue stock to raise the capital uh, is not attractive to us as shareholders or management or to our other shareholders. Mm -hmm. uh, it would result in significant dilution. And so while we have uh, a company with a small valuation and we have a small um, capital cost challenge and we have 
you know, a prize which has very robust economic payback, uh, what we don't want to do is suffer that kind of dilution. There's a number of uh, other types of uh, financings that are available to us that uh, don't result in that um, that kind of dilution, and they're, they break down into debt and versions of debt and, uh, you know, metal offtake agreements and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're very confident that the discussions we've been having since the uh, feasibility study was announced um, will result in, um, in us being able to announce a financing uh, package for this that does not dilute the shareholders along those lines. Uh, and uh, and is um, you know going to be sufficient to put this into production and and we're confident that'll happen fairly soon. All right. Well, I would say it would need to if you're going to be into production uh, first quarter at the latest of next year. Because how much time is it going to take to get everything in place? Let's say if you had the money today, how long would it take you to get everything in place? Well, it would be. It's going to be fairly rapid, and part of the reason for that is that it is a previously mined area. And uh, so we have a lot of infrastructure. We have, I mean, if you were to pencil it out, we've probably got half of the infrastructure in place right now. Um, we have the, the um, grid power installed with substations that was used uh, for the much larger plant when the open pit was operating. We have a water supply that's in place. We have a number of shops and buildings that are in place, and they're wired in and plumbed in and working. We have um, driven a tunnel from the bottom of the open pit out to the area where the first mining will take place, uh, and it's installed and in place. And so um, all of those things combined uh, will not only reduce the capital that we have to raise now, but they reduce the timeline. And um, our view is that uh, once everything uh, has been uh, resolved in terms of uh, financing and permits, that it's probably a six-month period uh, to begin mining ore. Okay. Brian, I like the idea of buying a stock that can more than, you know, that's, that's, that's priced below its annual cash flow. I really like that idea. That's, that's the reason that American Bonanza is on my list. That's one of the reasons. However, my good friend Chen Lin, who is, a, who is familiar with your, uh, with your story to an extent, and I know he's, he's going to be listening to the replay of this, uh, of this show because he is quite interested, but he, he suggested to me, he said, you know, one of the problems, he thinks one of the reasons your shares are so low now at this point in time is because there isn't a large deposit there. You talked about 300 and some thousand ounces of gold. Uh, is there, and, and let me just ask you, what would be the mine life then given your current resource? Uh, just over six years, almost 6.3 years. So you would have six years of, um, of probably of cash flow in excess of your current market cap? Well, the first three years, we've designed it so the, 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 the best years come first. Okay. So we, we, we have cash flows that are, yes, in, in, approaching or in excess of our uh, market valuation right now for the first three years. It does tail off after that. But during that three years, um, we have um, uh, ample time and opportunity to, uh, to expand the resource. And um, we've obviously spent a lot of time uh, looking at that and preparing for that. It's a classic problem that all mining projects face. At what point do you stop exploration, which is just a pure cost, and do you then um, forego the positive results that exploration may give you uh, in order to obtain revenues and put the thing in production? And a couple years ago, we saw disturbing things 
um, economically and politically that caused us to make a decision that we would stop drilling. It wasn't for lack of targets. It wasn't yeah. for lack of potential, but, but to stop drilling and, and move as rapidly as possible into a revenue-generating situation and let that uh, further potential take care of itself um, after that. And uh, we've got really two kinds of um, exploration targets around Copperstone. The first type is targets that are in and among the permits that we're acquiring now and in and among the uh, planned underground workings uh, that we'll be developing, so something that can easily be added to the mine. And um, there's, there's a couple of those targets. One of them is the south target, and um, it uh, is actually been drilled to the point where we have an inferred resource. So it's it's the uh, least defined uh, category of resource, mm-hmm. but it's roughly half the size of our, our current resource mm-hmm. at slightly mm-hmm. higher grade. Um, the main zones, um, we just stopped drilling down on them uh, because of cost and time. And, yeah. uh, and, and so the, the entire 313,000 ounces, it's open at depth. And so between those two targets... You know, we've already got fairly obvious potential to double um, the entire story, um, but there's another larger uh, target that that underlies all of the all the workings uh, that also falls in our permitted area. Outside of that, uh, we've drilled um, maybe six or seven additional targets, hit gold in all but one of them, hit high grade gold in several of them, hmm. and they may be as far away as a kilometer from uh, from our current workings. So they would require additional permits. They would happen later in the mine life. But, um, you know, this is an area that, that has shown, uh, you know, excellent gold endowment and is entirely covered by a transported sand. So exploration has to be painstaking and methodical and, uh, and draw on structural analysis, geophysics, things like that. Yeah. But uh, the total potential uh, is, is utterly untapped and certainly is well in excess of anything I've discussed so far. Well, it sure sounds exciting to me, Brian. I'm a value-oriented investor, and when I can find um, you know, something, as I say, that's selling below the annual cash flow, I think that's exciting. And to know that you have some uh, very good upside exploration potential to build a mine life well in excess of six years, perhaps. I mean, nobody knows for sure, but that's the way it looks to me anyway. I think it's a very exciting story. Uh, we have to, we're just out of time now, but can you give our listeners a sense of where they can learn to know, um, you know, where they can continue to follow your story? I'm sure. The, uh, the best thing to do is, um, is go to the website, AmericanBonanza.com. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much, Brian, for sharing that information. Folks, we'll try to keep you up to date on American Bonanza going forward. Uh, we have to take a break now. We're going to be right back, though, with another uh, the CEO of another mining company, Frank Callahan of Barkerville Gold. It's another company pretty much at the same stage of development as American Bonanza. They are actually mining now, and they're going to be going into production very, very shortly. So in any event, we're going to be right back with Frank Callahan. Don't go away. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network i am your host jay taylor 
I believe Columbus Silver Corp traded Toronto symbol CSC and in the United States symbol CSLVF offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojian gold and silver property hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. Apollo Gold is a gold producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. Merex's indicated gold resource is based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X gold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. to turning hard times into good times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Well, it's a really tough day in the market today. We're seeing the Dow Jones is down about 270 as I speak to you now. The NASDAQ, the S&P 500, everybody's getting clocked except gold is holding up very nicely. Gold has held up very nicely 
through this whole sub uh, 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 post Lehman Brothers debacle, gold has, as I just pointed out, has, is rising very dramatically in terms of what an ounce of gold will buy. Yes, the nominal price of gold is up, but the purchasing power of gold is up a lot more than the nominal price would lead you to believe it's up. And that's really important for gold mining profits, because if your energy costs, your materials cost, even your labor goes down relative to the product you're selling, in this case gold, then the profit margins go up. So I'm really really excited about the gold mining companies and in particular I'm excited about companies like the next one we're going to talk about Barkerville Gold because it's a new producer and it's a new producer just as the one we just talked to uh, American Bonanza with enormous amounts of upside exploration potential so not only is it producing if these companies can get into production start producing cash flows and finance their exploration activities and not dilute their shareholder base the potential for enormous wealth creation is there so I'm really pleased to have with me Frank Callahan. He's the president of Barkerville Gold. Welcome back, Frank. Jay, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Really good to have you. We talked to you a few months ago. Your uh, your mine is moving along. I should mention before we get started in our discussion here that your company trades on the Toronto Exchange under BGM, I believe is the symbol. It does trade in the pink sheets or on the over-the-counter market in the U.S. under the symbol BGMZF. Uh, last I looked, uh, to, before today's bloodbath anyway, it was about 67 cents. Uh, I think it's probably down a couple of pennies uh, now, Frank. But it's 64 million shares outstanding, a market cap around 40, 45 million dollars, somewhere in that range. Does that all sound right to you, Frank? Close. Actually, we're 57 million shares issued and outstanding. Um, fully diluted, you're probably right. Okay. Um, the, um, and the share prices, as you suggested, is about the 67 cent range in this little bit of bloodbath that we're going on today. All right. Well, you know, I always like to look at bloodbaths as opportunity baths sometimes, you know. So uh, you, you, you look at valuations, and, and in particular, as I was just saying, the, the economics for gold mining is improving so dramatically with these tough times. And that's not, you know, that, that's historically um, consistent with what we've looked at in the past. Bob Hoy and other analysts have gone back and looked at that. So I think it's a very, very exciting time for your company. Um, you, you are a recommendation in my newsletter should tell invest uh, tell listeners that uh, and you are a sponsor of this show and we thank you for that Frank as well because you guys have made it uh, f- uh, this show financially viable uh, so anyway Frank I want to get to um, to the basics in your story because we do have a lot of new listeners since we last talked you are operating in British Columbia can you tell our listeners where your mine is certainly the, the... Uh, the QR mill, referred to as the Quinell River Mill, a mining mill, it's in central British Columbia, as well as the Caribou Gold Project is uh, in the uh, historic town, near the historic town of Barkerville and Wells, also in central British Columbia. So the two projects, as the crow flies, are about 15 kilometers apart. As the road works, it's about 110 kilometers door to door. So you'll be hauling ore from the, mill, from the mine to the mill? Well, we will from Bonanza Ledge. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, that will probably won't start till the latter part of September. We're currently mining right now underground at the QR. Uh, we've been stockpiling for a number of months. The mill, which was running up until last February, February 2009, we've actually put, went on to care and maintenance, and then we've taken apart the pumps and the ball mills and went on that we would be looking at milling not only the ore that's at the QR, but also ore from the Bonanza Ledge, which we're allowed to mine or will be allowed to mine 75,000 tons a year. The grade's about 10 grams or called about 25,000 ounces. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at custom milling as well. And there's ore from, as we will be the, uh, the custom mill of choice in the area that uh, will be able to do other ores from other deposits that are close by and they have no access to mills. Mm-hmm. 
What is the uh, mill capacity there, Frank? It's a 900-ton-a-day facility, and it's capable of producing about 70,000 ounces a year from that location. Okay, so as long as you have excess capacity, you'll make it available to other mines in the area, I guess. We certainly will, and what it does is it lets us sort of continue in stockpile where you're not, you're not sort of having to cut back on the amount of tonnage that you're, you're putting through the mill. Yeah. In other words, taking it from 900 to 400 tons a day just to satisfy keeping the mill running. Ideally, you want to run at full capacity as the cost of running the mill, whether it's 400 tons or 900 tons a day, really is the same amount of money. Uh, yeah, and, and the startup and the shutdown is very costly, isn't it? It certainly is, and we've been actually sort of in, st- in startup mode. We've actually we took possession of this mill uh, February the second of this year, and we went in and we said, well, because we're going to do custom milling, let's go through the mill thoroughly. And so we did some sandblasting and got the uh, the gold room put together and put in a, a new Nelson concentrator and a new gravity circuit and a few things that were required in the facility that were just a little bit dated. The mill was initially built by Kinross back in 1994, and they ran it profitably up until 1997. And then it sat dormant for eight years, and then it was picked up by another group. Um, all in all, about $75 million has been spent on the mill, and we've actually acquired it and for a few shares. And we actually are sitting with no debt right now, and, and we start production. Uh, I was promised that we should see some sort of a shape of a gold bar somewhere around July the 15th this year. Wow. So you have your CapEx is met now. You don't need to raise more money, Frank, at this point in time? No, we're, 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 we're hanging on, but we, we'll be able to carry through until uh, we actually pour a gold bar. Um, and as I said, that's in two weeks or so from now. Okay, so can you tell our listeners how much gold you expect to produce here this year and into the next couple of years, and at what price? What is the cash cost of production? So on the pre-feasibilities that have been published on CDAR, $510 U.S. an ounce is coming from the Bonanza Ledge, which will be trucked. That's open pit. Mm-hmm. And it's higher than that for the QR deposit. We anticipate doing 50,000 ounces a year um, from both locations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking at about approximately 75,000 tons a year from each. And then that will allow us to um, uh, actually do other um, another 75,000 tons from other facilities. So our cells were, were anticipating 50,000 ounces a year, and then we can probably do an additional 25,000 or so ounces from other deposits, which we have been negotiating with, and they're quite keen to bring their ore there, as they have at present no place to bring it. Well, so you might have a joint venture arrangement with them where you get a share of their production. That would be a forward-looking statement, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but you're looking in but the right direction. But that's what you're hoping. I mean, that's a possibility. <laughs> it certainly is. Okay, and and so let's say that fifty thousand ounces for your own account there, without these other um, the other uh, projects, what sort of uh, blended cash cost might investors be looking at? I think probably blended. We're going to be looking somewhere in the neighborhood of six hundred and fifty dollars an ounce. Okay, so I'd like the listeners to do the math again. If they just take a look at, let's say, today's gold price, which is north of $1,200, $650 cost, you can subtract $650 from $1,200 and multiply it times $50,000. That will give you a back-of-the-envelope sort of estimate of cash flow uh, per year, at least to start with, without that extra blue-sky possibility that you're talking about. Uh, so, you know, investors can do the math and start to look at it. I mean, the cash flow would be pretty good relative to your current market cap, which is right around $40 million, $45 million, right? That's correct. I mean, if you had to look at the company's probably spent in excess of $40 million uh, uh, putting together the land package, which is some uh, near 30 miles long and probably in the neighborhood of in excess of five miles wide. It's a quarter of a million acres. Uh, well, this is another thing that has really excited me about your company and a reason that I have selected it for my newsletter 
it's not only the early production, you know, and as you mentioned, you didn't have to put out all those millions of dollars to build the, to build the mill and the infrastructures in place, but that you have this enormous exploration potential. So, Frank, uh, what, how confident are you that this, you're going to pull this off, that you're going to have production, positive cash flows that you can use then to finance, to look, uh, you know, exploration development? Because I think you have the potential to build a very major gold deposit or more than one major gold deposit up in that part of the world, given the enormous amount of exploration potential. How confident are you that you're going to be successful in producing and producing in a, a positive cash flow from this operation? Well, unlike other gold deposits, the, what's interesting about this gold belt, and you've got to understand the gold belt for the, your listeners, if you, they ever, ever Google Barkerville, uh, the historic town, this is the, Barkerville itself is the reason that British Columbia Joint Confederation, the railroad went west, there was the 49ers gold rush of California, and then it, it started up in the Barkerville area and then onto the Yukon and Alaska. The, the belt itself being some 30 miles long, the company has actually managed to acquire the whole belt. It's taken us 15 years to assemble this whole land package. Mm. And there's four different styles of gold mineralization. And so we're not just looking for one target. And they're all within, on plan view, they're about 1,000 feet apart and all within this uh, in, within this area. So we've been really quite successful in the past. I mean, last year we pr- reported the best drill hole ever drilled in Canada last year. And it's probably going to go down as probably in the top five holes ever ever reported ever in Canada. But it, it was like 277 feet, a half an ounce to the ton of which there was 123 feet was an ounce. So this is a high-grade area. Uh, we expect to, you know, we, we currently have three drills actively drilling at present. Uh, two are doing exploration in two different locations, one in the Bonanza Ledge area. We're testing it at depth now. The deepest hole we've ever drilled up until recently was some 300 feet. Um, we're now going deeper on the deposit. That's in progress as we speak. And then over at the mine site, we got one out doing exploration on surface, and we got another one underground drilling. So we're, we're very aggressive in, one, not only developing more ounces, but also stepping outside uh, the known areas and, and looking for more. Well, it sure sounds exciting to me, Frank. You, um, uh, again, without the need to raise capital, uh, you know, it, it, it looks very good. What do you think the biggest risks are, though? I mean, there's always risks. I mean, it sounds like a slam dunk when you talk about it, but, you know, what could go wrong here? Uh, the U.S. could not be in debt, and the price of gold goes to $300. Oh, <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure of the probability of that, but I think... Um, I'd become. I think it's more likely I'd become president of the United States than that happened, Frank. I don't know. Well, I don't. It's difficult to say. I've said in the past. Uh, maybe they don't have enough key man insurance. I, you know, the deposit itself sort of speaks for itself. There's pre-feasibility studies that have been done on all independent, of course, and um, they've demonstrated there's ounces. There's lots of more ounces. I mean, the, the, on, on our property alone, there's 101 creeks have produced gold, placer gold. Um, the ground has produced just light of four million ounces. That's recorded production. Um, you know, we there's Newmont's been there. They've had properties there and, and successful mines there. There's seven former producing mines on the company's property. So, um, in some cases, we're working within the shadow of a head frame, and we found new deposits. In other areas, we're actually stepped outside, and we're aggressively looking for more, both close to surface and at depth. Well, that's very, very exciting, Frank. Uh, we look to keep up with your story going forward, certainly for my newsletter, uh, and hopefully on this show going forward in the future as well. But I want to thank you again for your time. We are out of time right now. Uh, let our thank listeners you. know uh, what is your website so they can follow the progress on their own if they choose to. Certainly, please do. It's uh, BarkervilleGold.com, B-A-R-K-E-R. 
B-I-L-L-E, BarkervilleGold.com. And uh, don't be afraid to call the office. It's toll-free, 1-800-663-9688. Thank you very much, Frank. That's all the time we've got. But, uh, folks, don't go away because our special guest for this week is Kathy Fetke. She will talk about real estate. Her uh, That's her profession. Uh, she knows a great deal about the markets in California, not only in California, but around the country. And she may actually even have some ideas about how you could make money in real estate. Could that be possible? Or do we have a lot further to go on the downside? Well, don't go away. We're going to talk to Kathy about that and many more issues. We'll be right back with Kathy Fetke. Thanks, Jake. Thank you. Thank you. Bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free, 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. I am your host, Jay Taylor. I believe Columbus Silver Corp, traded Toronto, symbol CSC, and in the United States, symbol CSLVF, offers a potential gain of several fold over its March 31st price of 18 cents. I say that because of its low market cap, its Mojion gold and silver property, hosting a partly delineated deposit containing 18 million ounces of silver and 300,000 ounces of gold equivalent. I say that also because of a strong management team. The stock is, of course, not without risk, but in my view, the risk-reward ratio is presently very favorable. Go to ColumbusSilver.com to learn more. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and this week we are addressing what is arguably the most important sector in the U.S. economy, and I'm talking, of course, about real estate. Alan Greenspan's easy monetary policy during the 1990s fueled and into the 2000s uh, fueled a real estate boom. Uh, prices getting way beyond their economic values. It provided Americans with a false sense of prosperity, which caused them to take on enormous amounts of debt, debt well beyond what they could service, what they could, could afford. The real solution, though not a politically viable one, in my view, would be for just to let the markets go, to, for politicians to do nothing. Um, they, if they'd left the markets correct, uh, I think we would have been out of this, out of this uh, problem by now. Uh, and, you know, we could get back to the levels where people could really afford what they're buying again. Uh, but that, of course, intervention, uh, politicians always have to be seen as doing something. And that has kept the markets from correcting as rapidly as they should have corrected, in my view. Uh, but even with trillions of dollars of stimulus money pumped into the banking system, prices have still tended lower. Uh, so our question, the question on my mind and a lot of people's minds, is the worst over? Can we expect real estate prices to rebound anytime soon, or do we still have a long ways to go on the downside? And in either event, might there be some possibilities, some chances, some opportunities out there to actually make money in real estate in spite of the fact that uh, things still look pretty gloomy, at least they seem to from the statistics? For some answers to those questions, we're going to turn to Kathy Fetke, our special guest this week. She is the founder of Real Wealth Network. It's an organization dedicated to helping members get the most current and cutting-edge education and information they need to succeed as real estate investors. Uh, she is also the host of The Real Wealth Show, where she interviews real, real estate millionaires to discover their secrets for creating uh, passive income. Kathy is a licensed realtor, a former mortgage broker, uh, and she's an active real estate investor herself. She received her bachelor's degree in broadcast communications from San Francisco State University and worked in newsrooms of CNN, Fox, CTV, and ABC7. She's the past president of American Women in Radio and Television. Welcome, Kathy, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Oh, hello. Thank you for that introduction. Well, thanks for being with us. I, uh, you have a very impressive uh, background, certainly in the field of real estate. Um, uh, my uh, partner, Roger Wiegand, was supposed to be here. He's not with me, but that's fine. We'll, uh, we'll wait for him to come on a little later. And I've asked Roger to join me because he's had a professional background in real estate. But... Um, in any event, uh, we, we did have, I mean, this is a fantastic time uh, for people that were selling real estate, uh, doing, um, you know, brokers in the business. Uh, people made an awful lot of money during the 1990s, and I can tell you that we, Mrs. Taylor and I sold our house, one, uh, a house that we lived in in 1994, thinking that we had seen the top. We thought prices were already ridiculous compared to the rents and everything else in New York City. We sold, and then we leased back our house, 
uh, to a Peruvian landlord who just sort of smiled at us every time. It was a two-family house, and he just sort of had a good time with us because his price, the price of that house kept going up and up and up. And, and we were saying, oh, my gosh, we don't, want to be, we don't want to be leasing forever. We want to own our own place. We were wrong. We, we thought the market had peaked a lot earlier than it had. Um, so my question to you is, what caused this big bubble? Because it certainly was a bubble. And, and let me just say how I define a bubble. I think a bubble is a market. A bubble market is a market in which the uh, the prices cannot be sustained because the economic, uh, the underlying economics are not sufficient to sustain those prices. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. You know, the creative financing is what made it possible for so many people to get into uh, homes that they never really should have been in. Mm-hmm. You know, so many uh, young people were living in nicer homes than their parents had ever even considered. I remember when my dad saw my first home and he walked in the kitchens and uh, just touched the countertop and looked at me and said, wow, I've never had granite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, sure. So, I mean, these are things that were just sort of taken, you know, taken for granted. Everybody thought that they were entitled to it. But I would like to ask you, you know, from a macro perspective, don't you think that um, the fault has to lie also in the creators of money at the Federal Reserve? I mean, Mr. Greenspan was keeping interest rates at, you know, very, very low levels for a long time. And, you know, Congressman Paul and one or two others maybe from time to time would question the wisdom of that. Greenspan would always say, well, you know, real estate's not really a, it's not really, we don't know we're in a bubble. We can't know we're in a bubble till we're out of a bubble. And other people were looking around and saying, yeah, but wait a minute, this looks like a bubble to, to me. Uh, you know. <laughs> hey, listen, I was a, I'm just a, a, a suburban mother, you know. I, 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 <laughs> I knew there was a bubble yeah. without the economic training that they had. So if you had any common sense at all, uh, at least here in California and I'm sure in New York, mm-hmm. and, and you see somebody making a salary of $50,000 buying a house for 500000 or even a million, uh, we have a bubble. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, I think banks absolutely knew. No, I, I had a banking executive on my show, and he was not happy at the end of the interview because he tried to point the finger at the consumer. And I said, you know, the consumer's going to take what you give them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going to give, I, I would be the first to say, if you'll give me a million-dollar credit line, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I would attempt to do something wonderful with that money, and I might fail, but who's really at risk? It's the banks. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, I, I had to turn it around and say it was the banking executive sitting in the boardroom saying, hmm, what should we do now? Hey, I know. Let's lend to somebody and not even ask what they make. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, as long as they had a heartbeat, as long as they, as long as they could sign on the dotted line. Oh, no, I, I mean, I was in the mortgage industry at the time. Uh, like you said, everyone was. There was so much money to be made. You're almost crazy not to. Um, and, and so, you know, I saw hairdressers selling loans, and, uh, you know, so everyone was doing it. But on my desk, I would see um, flyers that said, up to $5 million, no credit, no assets. Wow. Yeah, that's... And no, that's, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot one, no income, no credit, no assets. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Yeah. But don't you think, though, Kathy, that, um, you know, Mr. Greenspan pumped the money into the banking systems? Now, I try to put myself, I, I am an ex-banker. I worked as a lending officer and a credit analyst at times. And I put myself in the, uh, in the shoes of um, a branch manager or, uh, you know, in management of a bank. And I have all this liquidity sloshing around, and I have to do something with it, else I don't keep my job. 
That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, it absolutely comes from the top. And as you know, I think we're in complete agreement that we haven't had a free market system since 1913 when the Federal Reserve was Mm -hmm. uh, created. You know, I I grew up with a father who uh, listened to the advice of Alan Greenspan and and thought he was the wisest man in the world. And, um, you know, most people have felt that uh, the people behind the Federal Reserve are, are the wisest economists and are really, truly trying to lead our our country in the right direction, but uh, as as we found out, the veil has been lifted, and we we know now that the Federal Reserve is not federal, has no reserves, is not a bank, and uh, is a private corporation with its own self interest at heart. And yeah. we see that more than ever now. Okay, well, we're going to go to break now, Kathy, and come right back with you to talk about more specifically opportunities uh, where you see the market is, uh, you know, where the market is in California and elsewhere around the country, and we're going to look for some opportunities, too, if you have some to talk about. So we'll be oh, right yeah. back with Kathy Petke. Don't go away. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merex Gold, with 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits, Merex and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $11 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. Merex has indicated gold resources based on 4% of the mineralized Surabaya megastructure. An aggressive 20,000 meters of drilling will begin to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. For more information about Merex Gold, visit us on the web at www.merexgold.com. That's M-E-R-R-E-X Gold. Coronado Resources is a Canadian-based exploration and development company trading on the TSX Venture Exchange. Its wholly owned Madison Gold Copper Project in Montana, USA has received revenue from high-grade gold and copper shipments while developing its underground workings to 250 feet below surface while limiting share dilution. Coronado is now driving the decline an additional 60 feet below the lowest workings to access the rich gold mineralization encountered from recent drilling and continue exploring the system, which is open at depth. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the problem so that effective remedies can be prescribed. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to nearly double the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has lost nearly half its value in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
PMI Gold has just raised $7.5 million to expand drilling at four former gold mines we own in Ghana. Ghana is Africa's second largest gold producer, and with neighbors like Newmont, Anglo Gold, and Goldfields, and a land position equal to the entire length of the Carlin Gold Belt, we're going for the gold. PMI Gold is listed in Canada and Frankfurt, and plans to list on the Australian Stock Exchange to finance development of our first mine at our Kubi Gold Project. Our plans are big and growing. Come grow with us. I am Jay Taylor, your host for Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Gold has risen from $250 to well over $1,200 since 2002. That has greatly improved gold mining profit margins and profits for gold investors. But mining stocks are very risky, so you do need to know which stocks have the best chance of success. I believe Magellan Minerals, traded Toronto under the symbol MNM, is one such company. That's why it is a top pick of my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Go to MagellanMinerals.com website to learn more. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, we're back here with Kathy Fetke, and Roger Wiegand has just joined us as well. Uh, before we get started, though, I, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show and for making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, I also want to thank our sponsors for this second hour of this last uh, session in the spring season. Our sponsors for the second hour of this show have been Barkerville Gold, Magellan Minerals, Apollo Gold, Columbus Silver, Coronado Resources, Uranium Energy, Gold Rich Mining, and Canico Resources. So we're back with Kathy Fetke, and she's a licensed realtor and uh, has her own show. I'd like to ask Kathy to talk about that uh, radio show that she has. Kathy, tell us, tell our listeners again where uh, where they can keep up with your work. Oh, sure. It's realwealthshow.com. Real like real estate, wealth like your money, and show. It's a, a radio show and podcast. Wonderful. And what is the content of that show? Uh, you know, we interview, well, it all started when uh, I was told in, boy, about 10 years ago uh, that my husband had six months to live Ooh. when he came home from a, an appointment uh, for melanoma. Mm. And, uh, you know, besides being distraught over <laughs> um, that, uh, I just had no idea. I had been a stay-at-home mom and did not know how I was going to replace the income. So it put me on a really quick path to figure it out. Um, I, I ended up interviewing, I had a radio show all at ready, and I just decided to completely switch the direction to figuring out how to build wealth rapidly. Mm. So I thought, well, then I'm going to interview people who have done it uh, and, you know, started with what I have, which wasn't much, and, um, and, and uh, created rather quickly. So that's what we've done, and 
um, you know, we share that information with our listeners. Well, that's a wonderful story. I, I'm really, uh, really happy for you that it's worked out well. And my uh, husband's healthy. <laughs> what's that? And my husband's fine. <laughs> oh, that's even better. That's, yes. That's the most important news of all, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Life, uh, life is so much more precious than money. Uh, of course, we need money to sustain us, but you know, sometimes we get too obsessed with money and we forget the very basic things and to love our family and those around us, which is really the first and most important thing. Anyway, uh, speaking of wealth and creating wealth and, and, and making money in real estate now, are there opportunities out there now, Kathy? Oh, you know, it's, I'm, I've never been this busy. I, <laughs> there are... So many opportunities, and this is exactly what the Federal Reserve creates, uh, booms and busts. And if you don't know how to play their game, I'm not saying it's a good game or one I support, but mm-hmm. it is the one that's, that's here, and we have to learn how to play it. If you're doing uh, the traditional type investing that uh, the Federal Reserve has promoted over the years, you're going to lose. Right. Uh, you're going to lose. It's quite simple. Uh, but right now, if you can, if you can learn how to ride the bust cycle, mm-hmm. oh, you can pick up the pieces of the the chaos that the Federal Reserve created. I'm glad you said that because really that's what this show is about to a great extent. We come at the understanding of the markets from an Austrian perspective, from an Austrian economic perspective, and I, I imagine you're much the same. But sure. the notion that you, you can actually you know take advantage of the pathology that's created by the Federal Reserve and this enormous amount of money creation, if you understand it. Now, the masses and the mainstream media don't really want you to understand it. They want you to keep buying what's being promoted on CNBC and other channels. Well, they can't, really. the system can't uh, exist if people don't keep any money in it. And uh, those who don't know that they've lost everything, you know, that it's really set up to for the powers that be to win, right. uh, keep, keep contributing. But, you know, people who have uh, played that game for 30 years and are finding themselves broke, they're not going to put any more money in. I think you're right. I think, uh, I, I think the market, I think people are more and more becoming skeptical, and it takes a long time for the masses sometimes to catch on. The last people, it certainly seems to me that what we're seeing in the equity market, uh, we're seeing a distribution pattern where, the, where there's bigger volume on down days and up days. It seems like the smart money is probably coming out of the market, trying to suck in all the little people as much as possible. So your show, in many ways, is very much like this one. It's to try to educate people, to help them understand what's really going on in the markets, and and take advantage of it. So let's get on to real estate, because that's your focus. What is going on? You say there's opportunities in real estate. Tell us about them. Well, you know, you've got it. There are so many opportunities, and there are so many traps. And so I think most of my day is spent trying to educate people that what was no longer is. We cannot look at the past to determine the future. And we can't even look at um, the ways that we would... Um, you know, the data that we used to look at, it's all skewed. Nothing makes sense anymore, so people are confused. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we look at uh, the data that came out last week on existing home sales and, and new home sales, and, um, you know, we see that there's been, uh, that there's maybe eight months supply out there. That's a national number, and it has, it doesn't reflect at all the shadow inventory that exists in some markets, but not in others. Mm-hmm. So the average person might look at that data and say, wow, it, you know, maybe it is time to go buy in Las Vegas when, without knowing that there's a tremendous amount of shadow inventory in the former bu- bubble markets. Uh, so we're, you know, we're going to areas where there, there wasn't, you know, it never, there never was a huge bubble, uh, but, but there's tremendous job growth and therefore uh, affordability. 
And, uh, and those areas, we're finding cash flow like we have never seen. It, you know, it used to be that in California, people would ex- get excited about a, a three cap. And for those of you kind of new to the idea of, uh, you know, how real estate is determined, a cap rate is, is just basically a, set, a percentage. So a, mm-hmm. a three cap means you're getting a 3% return. Um, in California, that was considered good, which I never thought was. Yeah. But now we're getting 20 caps on single-family homes, even as high as 30% returns, cash on cash, in your pocket. You don't have to gamble and worry every morning uh, what's happening out there. Could you give us, uh, our listeners, some idea of where, you know, in general, where these areas might be in the country? Are they really small pockets of opportunity like that? Because my sense is that, you know, as you say, Las Vegas, the, the, uh, the shadow uh, inventory, and I might ask you, what do you mean by shadow inventory before we go on? Yeah, sure. Um, the uh, S&P, Case Schiller, came out with a report on what that shadow inventory is. And, and there's a, a very, they define it as, um, the stuff that's not on the market yet, mm-hmm. but that's coming. Mm-hmm. It's that big kind of shadow of a big monster coming, right. uh, but it's not there yet. So mm-hmm. that would be the people who just stopped paying, you know, they defaulted, but the banks haven't done anything. The people who have been given loan modifications that are expected to default, that's like 70% of those are expected to default. And, uh, and just REOs, just bank-owned property, just sitting there that the banks aren't ready to release. That's that's the shadow. And in some areas, it's enormous. Right. Um, there are areas in the East Coast uh, that it looks like there's a hundred months of that stuff. Well, that's what I understand in, in uh, the New York market where I live is that, you know, banks are so bogged down with all this paperwork, they cannot process all of these defaults. That's right. And, New York and is part one of, of the, the areas that uh, has a tremendous amount of shadow inventory and um, people need to be really cautious because when they, you know, it used to be that you could look at current inventory, stuff that's on the market, and gauge, you know, what's coming that just isn't anymore. So lots of folks are saying, well, you know, the current inventory isn't that large, so it must be time to buy. That's okay, so let's get back to what are some of the areas in general. I don't know how specific you want to be, but sure. be as specific as you'd like to be. What are, what are some of the areas in the country where you're finding these pockets of, you know, really solid big returns in real estate? Sure, yeah. The, um, the, the market that our investors at Real Wealth Network are most, I would say, most confident in are the areas that have the highest job creation mm-hmm. and, um, and therefore the highest population growth. So what, uh, you've probably seen it on the news, but Texas is really outperforming the country. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got, uh, they got hit hard in the 80s during the SNL crisis, and they got some leadership there that say we're never doing that again. They had tough lending. They did not do some of the crazy loans there. Um, so they have not had a crash. Uh, they, their largest decline has been, uh, you know, 5% decline total since this whole, you know, Great Recession has been, you know, has, has been here. So, uh, and in the areas that we're investing in, it's been increase in value every year. It's, it was already 9% this year. So um, parts of Dallas, Texas are super hot. Um, there's a little area called Headquarter Row. It's like the highest number of headquarters in any city located there. There's tremendous growth. We're buying like crazy because builders are back. And that's, that's shocking news because builders, you know, barely have a heartbeat right now. Because, mm-hmm. you know, why build when you can't get rid of the inventory that's already there? Right. But that's not the case in Dallas. They're building. So when we're buying half the cost to build, you know, with these foreclosures, 
and yet next door a builder's building you can see where we're going to start to see some uh, some great returns and and even if it doesn't even if there's not appreciation we're getting you know we're getting the great cash flow so there's job creation in Texas and around Dallas and and if so why what where are the jobs coming from there oh uh, you know they're coming from all over like I said in the 80s um, Texas just tanked, and um, mm-hmm. they they had a, a terrible time, worse than the rest of the country. So they decided to do t- things differently. Now you're from New York, I'm from California. We don't understand this concept in our states, no. but their concept is, hey, let's make this a really attractive place for business. Let's give them incentives. Let's give them tax breaks. And as a result, they have the highest, they have every single Fortune 500 company represented there. They have the highest number of headquarters, the highest job growth, the highest population growth. It's booming. But you can, you can get, you can afford to live there. For example, the neighborhoods that we're buying in, the average income with these white collar workers is $90,000 for their average income, but the average home price, 140. Oh wow! So, yeah, so there—that's a whole lot of discretionary income mm-hmm. uh, that flows into the economy there. So the restaurants are booming, the shops are booming. It's really—it's really the way America is supposed to be run. <laughs> really interesting, and I imagine the the econo- uh, the policies have been more conservative in Texas, more pro more pro business friendly, perhaps less taxes. Some other oh, things. Absolutely, that- there's no state income tax. Uh, so you know, and then on top of that, we found a. You know, the top guy in Dallas who has uh, several million dollars cash that he takes to the bank and buys foreclosures direct. So, you mm-hmm. know, you can, you can go in and try to get a onesie-twosie, but when you go in and buy, you know, hundreds of, of homes, properties at you once. get them for... Uh, the bankers like you that way. They Oh, boy. So They would get rid know, of some we... bad real estate. Roger, have <laughs> you got some, um, some ideas or some questions for Kathy? Yes. <clears throat> what I would be curious about is are you buying and renting those places out or are you buying and turning them over on resales? Uh, you know, we are buying, for, for these kinds of areas, we're buying and holding because, the, uh, like I said, the $120,000 properties that we're buying that are already $20,000 under the market there because we're able to buy them direct from the bank, um, they're renting for 1300 1400 a month. Uh, so we're holding those because we're seeing prices go up. But in other areas, like in California, um, I found a, a property in the San Francisco, um, the Oakland Hills, looking over the bay, and it was a, a kind of a deal where the developer, uh, the developer went bankrupt, which is happening a lot. We were able to buy the project from the bank and write the note down from uh, seven million down to one point five million. Wow! So we're flipping those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what sort of uh, leverage are you using on those Texas? properties then, uh, Kathy, how much are you borrowing and how much are you putting down? Well, a lot of people in our network, um, they, they buy, they put 20% down, and with 20% down, they're still cash flowing about uh, $400 a month. So 20% down on a $120,000 property isn't, isn't a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to, to, if somebody's able to, to qualify for the loan, that's a big if. <laughs> Then, no. uh, and I mean, it's not as hard to qualify for a hundred thousand dollar loan than you know other loans for sure, mm-hmm. especially when you can count the rental income. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our investors are able to qualify. Um, so a lot of people are freaked out about the market. They're self-directing their IRAs. They didn't realize they could do this, but it's totally legal. Mm-hmm. To self-direct your IRA. You have to use a special company because you're uh, probably who's holding your current uh, IRA is going to tell you you can't do it, but you absolutely can. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we have a list of companies that will help you do it. So a lot of people are taking their retirement funds, self-directing them, and buying these kinds of homes. Uh, one of our investors had had a million in retirement. He was just about to retire when it came down to 600000 He wasn't wow. about to see another penny um, disappear. So he self-directed all those funds and bought five houses in Texas cash with his IRA. Very interesting because in retirement, I mean, you know, the government, the Federal Reserve is forcing you, you know, if you're going to rely on treasuries or whatever to stay alive and to, and to pay your rent and to uh, buy your food and your medical expenses and stuff, forget about it. Yeah, so exactly. You're, so so you're, getting, now getting, you know, you're getting the um, kind of returns that you really need to have in retirement, what you're talking that's about. That's right. That's right. He's getting a, a $60,000, uh, you know, annually now. From that purchase, that's after all expenses, including property management. And these homes are only a couple years old. You know, we're not going to buy old, dilapidated properties. These are mm-hmm. nice new properties that went into foreclosure because somebody went in to buy a new home and couldn't afford it. So we're in taking it. Relatively safe areas, Kathy? And in, in oh, we only place. go into safe areas. There's no yeah. point. <laughs> There's no, no point, point in doing anything right? else. That's <clears> a mistake a lot of people make: is trying to increase their cash flow by going into buying the really cheap stuff, but boy, mm-hmm. you know, you think you have cash flow, but you don't when, when your, your tenants don't want to live there because they got robbed or, you know, yeah, or exactly. something worse happened. Sure. Um, so we stay in very, very nice neighborhoods where the families are safe and the schools are good and, you know, a place you'd want to live or I'd want to live. It just yeah. happens to be in Texas, so maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I know Texas, it wouldn't be my first choice either. Really, given the, I mean, I'd much rather San Francisco where you live, I can say that. But, yeah. but you know, I mean, you have to take all, everything into consideration, right? So, uh, Roger, I know that you follow a lot of the home builders. Now, Kathy's telling us that there is some actual home building going on down there. Kathy, uh, are, are, those, are these big builders or are these sort of regional builders that have just cropped up? Uh, you know, I think it's a mixture. Yeah, I think it's a mixture. Yeah, there's just, um, you know, if you if you pull up reports and we have a bunch on our website of um, oh twenty different headlines, um, this this north part of Dallas where we're buying is the fastest growing part of the country, mm-hmm. and um, they actually believe it or not, this is probably the only place in the country I know of they are concerned about a shortage of homes. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's remarkable. Roger, any more questions? Sure. What what community would that be, Kathy? I know the area pretty well. Oh, sure. Um, you know, right now, I, I wasn't interested in this area before, but um, north of Plano, uh, kind of near Frisco, there's McKinney and Anna, and uh, some areas up there where uh, the growth is just phenomenal. Yeah, and it's very to close to jobs. Um, these aren't people commuting to downtown. They're commuting to that headquarter row that I was talking about where all these major headquarters have moved. The headquarter row is located in Plano? I, it's north. It's north of there. I, I, okay. I don't remember the city, but it's uh, probably about 10 to 15 miles north of Plano. Okay. I, I lived in Plano for a couple of years, so I know the territory fairly well, but it's been a long time, and I'm sure that things have changed. Uh, one other question that I might have for you today is, um, are, are you involved in commercial real estate at all, or do you work on any foreign projects? Uh, you know, I have a ton of foreigners uh, coming to Real Wealth Network to buy properties through us because uh, we, you know, we look at the national market. So we work with foreigners, but at this point, I haven't been looking at any foreign properties. Okay. Um, but as far as commercial, just because there's just too many good deals here, and I, I don't, I don't know the uh, nuances of the other countries sure. at this time. But um, as far as commercial, it's the next shoe to drop, as you probably know. Defaults are soaring with commercial 
property. And it's not so much that it's not performing, although a lot of it's not. Uh, it's that a lot of those loans were um, balloon notes, which is pretty typical. But unfortunately, there's just no money to refinance. I know some really savvy investors who are losing everything because they just can't refinance their balloon note on their on their commercial property. So we're seeing uh, defaults soar, uh, but that's the sad part. But I, I guess the the silver lining in it is that you know we're coming along and picking up the pieces. And yeah, we're buying. Well, I'm almost embarrassed to say some of the prices that we're buying stuff for, but um, you know we just picked up in a 16 unit building for. A little over two hundred thousand mm. <laughs> oh, um, in a good neighborhood. You know, a nice building. It doesn't need much work. Um, picked up a seven unit for, oh, gosh, I'm again embarrassed to say, but sixty five thousand. Wow, yeah. Kathy. Uh, when people invest through your organization, do they do they buy? Are they buying a pool of uh, of of properties, or are they buying? Singly, uh, like like if I were to go in, would I put in X amount of money and have a home, or would I have would my would my investment be pooled with a lot of other investors? It depends on what you're looking for. We we do both. So mm-hmm. with new investors, or not even necessarily new investors, just people who want to own the property, um, they want to be the only person involved. They want to man- not necessarily manage it because we we offer a list of property managers that we've worked with that we recommend, and that's that's part of our services making sure that the uh, follow-through is there because you can buy a great deal, but it's not a great deal if you can't rent it. So um, property management is probably one of the number one things that we're concerned about and offer. Uh, But sure, you know, we have people who have never invested in real estate, so we just start them off with one property that they buy by themselves. Um, But we also have a fund where people can pool their money, and we're buying big stuff with that money. Like I said, this development in Oakland Hills, that we needed $3 million for that project. We raised it in one hour, mm. and, um, and we're able to acquire it together. Mm. Uh, but, you know, not everybody wants to invest. You know, some people just want to do their own thing, so we, we offer both. Well, and so you actually provide management of properties? Uh, we, our you company doesn't, but what our company does is uh, just kind of scours the nation for uh, the best service providers out there, whether it's attorneys or appraisers or inspectors or, um, you know, these wholesalers, these guys that buy direct from the banks and, and are able to sell to investors at 25, 30% discounts. We were kind of, I guess, the best way to put it is like 1-800-DENTIST in the, in the sense that we're really finding the best professionals to refer people to mm. and we keep our eye on them and if we start to get one you know complaint then uh either they're taken off our referral list or they fix the problem so you know an investor is not going out on their own it's you know we have hundreds of investors in dallas and that property manager would go out of business if we pulled all of our investors so if you were just one person with one property and you had a complaint you might not be heard as well as Right. Uh, Real Wealth Network, who comes in and says, "Hey, look, we're going to pull 200 investors. Uh, you going to take care of this problem or not?" Right. Oh, very understood. Um, what? Uh, how much money do people need to get started? Uh, what sort of uh, minimum investment is required? Sure, sure. No, it's shocking. Again, um, you know, some people come in with millions. Some people are just starting out, and there's pro- there's there's something for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, in Memphis. Memphis is one of the highest cash flow places right now, and uh. um, we're buying houses there for between thirty and forty thousand. And I, I, I'm telling you, they're nice little houses. You know, they're they're really not bad. They're totally rehabbed and in decent, you know, kind of working class neighborhoods. And 
so a down payment on a $40,000 house is $8,000, you know. Wow. So you don't have to have a ton of money. We also have a a creative financing in the sense, not like the the old days, but um, we can lend hard money, which is expensive money. It's our investors Mm -hmm. want high returns. So um, they want, you know, 12% returns. So you could borrow a 12% loan um, and acquire the property. And then because they already come so discounted, you can refinance out of that hard money and actually put even less than than the uh, 20% down. So that's, there's lots of ways to do it. That's really incredible. Let me just ask you about Memphis. What's the economy like in Memphis these days? Well, it's not, you know, the booming place that Texas is, but it's steady. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, um, you know, it, it's kind of like the tortoise is beating the hare right now. And all of these sleeper markets that didn't play the uh, the bubble game are doing really well. Uh, um, not all of them. Not, not, not all of them, no. Definitely not all of them, but um, some of them. And Memphis just happens to be an area that has, um, <clears throat> it, it has FedEx based there. And I, I didn't know this before. I couldn't figure out why it was a high cash flow market, but I learned that um, the three sectors that are really hot right now in the U.S., um, number one is medical. That, you know, we've got an aging baby boomer population, right. and if you can be near a medical community, you're going to do pretty well, like Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Cleveland has a growing medical community, so we're finding great deals there. The cash flow, because the people nearby are doctors and nurses, and it's just a, a huge medical community. Well, in Memphis, there is a, um, I, I never knew this, but all those hospitals around the country need stuff, and they need it fast. So uh, a lot of the pharmaceutical companies and and uh, the companies that need to get stuff to hospitals overnight, they're located in Memphis because they can get it there at midnight and it's at the hospital by morning. That is really interesting. Um, Cleveland, I wouldn't have thought it. Roger is from uh, originally before he moved to the West Coast is from uh, outside of Detroit. But the same thing would not be true of Detroit at this point as is Cleveland. Would you would you say that's true? Well, that's, or that's you, exactly even Detroit right. have some Cleveland. possibilities. Cleveland's got the opposite. I mean, Detroit's got the opposite problem where jobs are leaving, people are leaving, crime is increasing. It's a mess. And, um, you know, I know people are going there because they can get a really cheap house, but, oh, you know, I'm not sure what you're going to get with that cheap house. Roger, what would you have to say about that? Well, uh, in the medical community in Detroit, it is big, but it's very scattered. Uh, Mm. In Cleveland, the Cleveland Clinic is known internationally. Yeah. And also, I think the medical community in Cleveland is more focused not only on, on, on strategic markets serving patients, but they've got a tremendous name. And uh, consequently, I would think that that part of it's doing well. By the same token, uh, there's large uh, chunks of Cleveland that are, are not doing well at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Detroit is in much worse condition, of course. Uh, Detroit is so bad now that the former population exceeded 2 million, and it's now under 800,000. Right. Oh, my they're goodness. Gonna, they're going to wow. tear down 10,000 homes there uh, just to prevent crime. And yeah, that's, that's incredible. Our- well, uh, Kathy, uh, we are just about out of time. We could have gone on a long time with you. I would have talked a lot more about macro stuff and about your home state, California. But, but I think it's, you know, we leave it on a positive note here. You've talked about some real opportunities in real estate that, quite frankly, I wasn't focused on. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it from a macro perspective. I look at all the macro numbers and I say, woe is me, this place is really heading south. Uh, in every which way, but to find some, you know, real true green shoots, not the phony ones that they were giving us a month, a year or two ago, but some real true green shoots where capitalism is still, little parts of capitalism is still alive, 
that's very refreshing. I want to thank you very much for the time, Kathy. Well, I hope to maybe get you on again sometime for an update on, on what you're doing here. This is really, really interesting. Give our listeners your website again so they can track uh, what you're doing, and maybe we'll have a lot of people that are interested in, in, your, uh, in your business. Wonderful. It's realwealthshow.com, real as in the real deal or real estate, and wealth as in the health of your money and show as in show. So realwealthshow.com. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of people from New York, just like California, that aren't finding good cash flow locally and and, uh, and love what they're finding at Real Wealth Network. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Kathy, for that very uplifting message today. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be talking to Douglas McQuarrie. He's the president of PMI Resources. That's another junior mining company that's exploring and developing a gold mining project. Uh, this one is in Ghana, West Africa. You know, uh, gold mining is the other sector that is doing very well, one of the few in the world that's doing very well. So we're going to be right back with Doug McQuarrie as soon as the break. Don't go away. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Apollo Gold is a gold-producing and exploration company that recently brought the brand-new Black Fox Mine into production. Apollo's 100% owned Black Fox Mine is located in the world-renowned gold-producing district of Timmins, Ontario, Canada. It's expected to produce over 100,000 ounces of gold annually. Apollo Gold also has tremendous potential for additional gold discovery as they continue their current exploration program on their recent new discovery at the Gray Fox property, which is adjacent to the Black Fox Mine, as well as its new land acquisition of Pike River. With gold prices near an all-time high, investors should consider Apollo Gold as an outstanding opportunity to invest in an undervalued junior gold mining company, well positioned to take advantage of a bull gold market. Apollo Gold trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol AGT and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol APG. Visit Apollo's website at www.apollogold.com. Apollo Gold, a golden opportunity for investment. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. 
some kind of loving ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a loving ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I have with me Douglas McCory. He's the president of PMI Gold, PMI Gold, Venture, PMI Gold Company. Uh, and, Doug, I may have to ask your correction on that. It used to be PMI Ventures. So, anyway... What is the correct name of your company? It would be good if I had the name of the uh, one of my Gold sponsors correct, wouldn't it? What is it? PMI Gold Corporation. Yeah, exactly, and you just changed it. it. Used to be PMI Ventures. I've known you for so long. I called you PMI Ventures by mistake, and uh, I knew it. I knew it had changed to PMI Gold something. So appropriately so, because you're in the gold business. I want to tell exactly. our listeners that uh, that uh, PMI Gold Company trades under the symbol PMV in Toronto under the pink sheets uh, or the uh, over the counter market in the U.S. It's PMVGF. Uh, trading at about fifteen cents the last i the last I checked earlier today two hundred and fifty two million shares outstanding giving it a market cap of about thirty seven million so welcome Doug to turning hard times into good times great thanks a lot i'm uh, sorry for butchering the name of your company. My apologies I knew it was p m i gold something and so uh gold is the story i've been telling listeners that gold is the uh, gold mining is the bull market of a lifetime right now because we're seeing the real price of gold rise dramatically. Today, for example, we've seen the Dow is down 268 points, but gold was actually up $3.50. And we're seeing the real price of gold rise very dramatically relative, uh, that is, in terms of what an ounce of gold will buy. It will buy more than three times the amount of the Rogers Raw Material Fund before Lehman Brothers collapsed back in October, uh, September of 2008. So, Doug, I think you're in the sweet spot of the cycle for gold mining. Uh, and uh, I, so I want to ask you, this is your first time on our show, so I need to ask you a little bit about uh, your project. I mean, if you could just give our listeners some overview of your project in Ghana. Right. We, uh, I've, I've been in Ghana since 1993, and I think that's when you almost first started following us, Jay. Yes, many uh, years ago. Myself and a predecessor company. Mm-hmm. So it's been uh, eight, 17 years in Ghana. And uh, basically in 2002, uh, I brought a bunch of projects to PMI uh, Gold. And uh, since then, we've raised just over $20 million. And we've got pretty, pretty near 2 million ounces of resources, uh, gold resources now we're, uh, we're looking forward to developing. We've acquired four old mines, and uh, all of those mines closed because the price of gold was too low. It was $320 an ounce when, when those mines closed. At $1,200, the uh, margins are exceptional, and we're just in the market now to raise the uh, capex to, uh, to basically build our first mine, and the object would be to, uh, to get that one in production and then move on and build the second and the third. 
All right. Well, let's talk about margins since you brought the topic up. If we're looking at uh, $1,200 gold, and what kind of margins might you expect? I know maybe without a feasibility study, I'm not sure how much you can talk about this, but but is there some guideline that you can give investors, some sense of what? Oh, for sure. uh, We did a pre-feasibility scoping study uh, in 2008, and based on that, we sort of had cash costs of around $450 per ounce. Since then, most of our costs have, got, have decreased. Dan is a de facto U.S. dollar economy. Certainly, the Canadian dollar has appreciated against the U.S. dollar. So our costs have basically gone down, mm-hmm. which would indicate an all-up uh, cash cost of perhaps 50% of the current price of gold. Mm. It's around 600 all up, including okay. corporate overhead and all those other things that the big mining companies forget to include in their cash costs. Right. So, but what, how many, you have 2 million ounces of, I guess that's a 43101 number, right, Doug? Well, actually, half of it's 43101. The other half is historical okay. Australian JORC code, which mm-hmm. we're currently upgrading to 43101 and expect that report about mid-August. And, uh, okay, so we'll have to wait to see if the 43101 keeps you at 2 million ounces or what, but... But let's say, uh, you know, what sort of, how many, what sort of level of production are you anticipating per year? What we're planning, Jay, is that for the first mine will be a, a real nice, high-grade underground mine, uh, sustainable, environmentally clean, nice, nice small operation. So that's 60,000 ounces a year. Our second target is, uh, that's our Kubi project. Our second project is Obatan. And when uh, the Australians uh, left that project in 2003, they left almost 700,000 ounces in their resources and reserves measured and indicated. So that, that would be our second project, and that would be a combination of open-cut mining, and uh, we have an exploration target of about 2 million ounces underneath one of the pits, mm. a very nice-looking target, which uh, we'll actually be targeting with a deep drill hole here in the next few weeks. So you could be looking at another 2 million ounces on top of what you have now? Absolutely. And, you Mm -hmm. know, we're in Ghana. Ghana is right now, uh, West Africa is is right now projected to be the world's second largest gold-producing area after China. So China's Mm -hmm. number one at 10 million ounces. The whole of West Africa is going to come in at 8.7 million ounces in 2012. And Ghana has 55% of the resources and reserves uh, in West Africa, so it's the big one. You have some major mining companies, major gold companies in Ghana now. Could you talk? Who are those? Well, we've got mo- everybody except Barrick. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, the big companies did a trade-off. Barrick took Tanzania and Newmont went to, went to Ghana, so some sort of a friendly agreement they have there. But Newmont is there. They've got one mine producing half a million ounces per year, and they've got a second one, I think, should be on stream next year at another half a million ounces per year. Uh, Goldfields of South Africa is there at about 900,000 ounces per year. Uh, we also have Anglo Gold Ashanti on their, their large Opawasi mine, mm-hmm. which has been in production for 113 years continuously, produced 30 million ounces, and it has another, say, 25 in resources and reserves. We also have Redback Mining and Golden Star. Well, that's uh, certainly an impressive area. You know, a lot of people think Africa, and they get frightened right away about political risk. Could you talk to us about Ghana in terms of its political risk and its, uh, you know, its, its economic uh, or its political system and, and well, system of laws? And so yeah, forth. it's a former British colony, got its independence in 1957. 
think they've had four four peaceful elections since since the military r- rule in 1991. What was the end of that? They've had four peaceful elections. They've got a semi-presidential parliamentary system, half half British, half American style, and uh, the last election, I think, it was 51 percent of the people voted for the winning party, and 49 percent voted for the uh, the other side. So it's a very similar to states in that respect. You know, everybody's uh, basically looking for the middle ground, and anybody goes too far one way or the other, they they uh, they get the boot, and in come the opposition. So it forces everybody to the middle. It's the second most politically stable country in Africa. Uh, Botswana is number one, and uh, as I say, British common law, uh, good 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 court system. So no, it's a good place to work. You are uh, situated in a uh, right in a region of Ghana where a lot of the the gold has been produced. Could you just talk about maybe just in as as close to lay terms as possible the the geological setting that you're involved in? Well, actually, the geology is pretty pretty simple. It's 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 old rocks. They're sort of just a little bit younger than the South African rocks, and they were uh, they were blessed with a very large gold content. The rocks were then very tightly folded, and during that folding. Um, and uh, fault, uh, uh, a certain series of faults occurred, and a combination of the two, you ended up with these very, very deep-seated uh, structures that the gold that the gold came up and basically was concentrated. So the secret to the Ghana ore bodies is they they have depth, and so if you drill a typical Ghanaian ore chute down to say a uh, thousand feet, you might come up with a million ounces. But if you drill it to 2,000 feet, you'll get 2 million ounces, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So right now, the big Obawasi mine is at a depth of around 5,500 5, feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got lots of uh, potential uh, at depth, but you also have potential laterally, I think. Well, yes, the, uh, the structures tend to be... Um, Three, three to well, I'm I'm thinking in meters. So say a thousand odd feet long is a typical ore chute, and say anywhere from five to fifty meters wide, and uh, again 100 to 150 feet wide, and can go down literally several miles. So what what's happened in West Africa, Jay, is you know most of the ore bodies that have been found to date were found by the local miners, mm-hmm. and they've been mining there for thousands of years. There really haven't been a lot of new discoveries. So I'm a geophysicist, and we've just now completed a 10,000 uh, line kilometer. So what's that? Uh, hmm, a 30,000 hmm. feet? Yeah, uh, feet <laughs> of line. Line uh, 30,000. That would be 15, uh, 20,000 uh, line. Oh, I'm sorry, eight, seven thousand line miles of survey. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so we've covered our entire property, and we're going to use that as a base map for further exploration. But the long and short of it is we've got 100-odd uh, uh, kilometers. Okay, here we go again, uh, switching that to, to miles, 85 well, miles of uh, concessions right mm-hmm. on the major gold belts. And uh, I think we can find just a heck of a lot more using geophysics. All right, well, I think that's, um, that's good to know because uh, compared to a lot of other companies, you do have a fair number of shares out. We haven't talked yet about capital cost. What are your capital costs likely to be to get into production there, Doug? And, and then how will you finance that? What, okay. what sort of methods the, do you have in, in mind to finance? Excellent. The, uh, what we're talking about as a first mine is a, is a, is a nice 750-ton-per-day operation. 
The capital cost we're estimating at 50 million U.S. dollars, and that's pretty pretty well on the high side. But uh, we want to we want to be very conservative in that. Make sure we raise enough capital. The basic plan is to do an IPO. Uh, we're currently listed in Toronto and Frankfurt, but we uh, we the the uh, Australian market has about five junior companies uh, with market caps anywhere from where we are, 30, 40 million, to almost a billion dollars mm-hmm. uh, on in West Africa. And so they have developed quite an expertise. They've built five mines in West Africa, mm-hmm. uh, the consultants out of Perth. So there's quite a little uh, knowledge base there. So they approached uh, us, and we basically said, fine, let's list our stock in Australia, and as a result of that, Macquarie Bank, through their uh, their private capital part of the bank, they took a uh, 33 million shares, which was a five million dollar investment a couple of months ago, and said, "Good, let's. Uh, if you guys list on the exchange, uh, we'll we'll be there to to back you." So essentially, our plan is to do a prospectus, which is halfway completed, and a initial primary offering in Australia for $20 million in September. Mm. Now, that's almost halfway there. The balance can be raised by a gold, uh, a gold forward. Yeah, which would mean you'd lock in your gold price. But it's, yeah, at, at, at $1,200 where you've got a margin of $600, it's, it's, it's really a no-brainer to do a little bit of hedging mm-hmm. to, to bring a mine into production. The current IRR on the Kubi project is uh, 72%. Uh, so and and it's got a net present value of about 140 million U.S. dollars. So it's a it's a great project, four times our current market cap, and uh, you know less than a two-year payback. Okay, Doug, we're just uh, really uh, just about out of time here. Uh, tell our listeners how they can keep up with your company. Well, certainly we have the website www.pmigoldcorp.com. And there's a good interactive uh, website there. Uh, you can ask for information and get on our mailing list. And uh, certainly uh, look forward to talking to, to you again and to, you, to, your, uh, to your listeners. Well, I would love to have you back, uh, Doug. I guess uh, we, we do want to keep our eye. I mean, you've got 252 million shares. What would I just, I have to ask you this before we go yet, but what, so if you do that financing $20 million in, in Australia, which you're doing, what would that do in terms of market, uh, the, the number of shares outstanding? Well, we're hoping to do it at much higher prices, but that obviously depends on the market. Yeah. So it's, it, it will not be hugely dilutive. The yeah. thing to keep in mind, Jay, is we're aiming for production. Right. And Kubi, with 60,000 ounces per year and the type of margins we're talking about, throws out $30 million cash per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's $0.10 cents a share. Ten cents a share. We want to trade at a multiple, and a typical multiple ten to twenty. So the number of shares outstanding is not a problem if you have production. I agree with you, and also when you're talking about the number of ounces, you're talking about potentially there, Doug, with two million, uh, arguably two million now, and and a lot more to come. So you are an elephant country, and yep. investors need to keep all of that in perspective. You know, there are a lot of a lot of shares outstanding, but relative to what? If you had no gold in the ground, it would be an important number. If you've got lots of gold then you have to put that into perspective. So I appreciate it. It looks like a very interesting project going forward, Doug. I do hope we can talk to you some more in the future. Okay. Folks, that's uh, all the time we have now. I hope you'll follow Doug uh, McCory's PMI Gold. Uh, Follow that story. And uh, we're going to be right back with a wrap-up with Roger Wiegand, my partner, after the break. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Doug. 
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. American Bonanza Gold's project, located in Arizona, is scheduled for production in 2010. American Bonanza Gold announced the positive results of its recent feasibility study at its 100% owned Copperstone Gold Mine. The mine is estimated to produce an average of 45,000 ounces of gold annually. At the current spot gold price, this will result in an IRR of 120%. Join the gold bull market. Invest in American Bonanza Gold. Visit the website at AmericanBonanza.com for more exciting information. Don't miss this great opportunity. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com Sign up for Jay's newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks at www.miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. We are here uh, for the wrap-up, and I have my partner, Roger Wiegand, with me. Roger, welcome uh, back. I'm glad you could stick around uh, for the wrap-up here. And uh, what did you have to think about what Kathy Fetke had to say? Uh, what Kathy was suggesting, I've seen that before uh, in the recession in the middle 80s. Uh, typically what happens is uh, the properties will get marked down so far that they will be affordable on a cash flow basis. The numbers will line up much better than otherwise. Uh, people that were looking for, like in apartment buildings, for a return anywhere between 6 and 9% in a real tough market like the one we're in, they get squeezed until the projects are ruined. But she's suggesting that people look at single-family homes that have, that are basically in good condition and that have been marked down so far in a market that was flooded with properties that you can buy them for historic discounts, and then you can come back in and get a rent and make good money on the house. Yeah. I think most of the people, Jay, that would want to do this um, should try it one house at a time, mm-hmm. and rather than looking to rent them, I would fix them up and I would want to sell them immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the people in the markets like Naples, Florida, which was one that was very hard hit but very high in luxury, uh, I saw an example the other day of an extreme price. This will really get your attention. This house was a mansion on the ocean on two acres in Naples in the, one of the premier sections. The whole town is almost all premier. Uh, the property was listed for $15 million, and the eventual sale at auction was 3200000 Wow. So that's the kind of advantage you can get if you shop around and you have a lot of patience. Now, another town that you and I know pretty well because of our, our visiting there and doing work there is Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, they've been very hard hit in this uh, housing problem. 
as is Nevada and California, but in the Phoenix case, some of the people doing this kind of thing were able to buy homes uh, at a sheriff's auction for forty or fifty thousand, and then turn them over and pick up fifty or sixty thousand on a retail. In some cases, they were able to buy the house and sell it within thirty days. Uh, the window of opportunity for those kinds of buys uh, is rather short. I would look at it in probably a cycle of months rather than years. But if you understand the business and you know what you're doing, you can do it. So months rather than years, Roger, because you're not confident that these projects or that these uh, properties will remain economically viable for an extended period of time. Is that your macro view is so is so bleak that you think that even these better areas might not hold up? Well, it's partially because of the bleak market and what's coming in the general market, but also to get a really deep advantage like the ones that I just mentioned, uh, they get cherry-picked off pretty fast. Yeah. And, and the, the remaining ones, uh, the prices are going to be higher. There's going to be more of a scarcity of renters and or buyers who are qualified. And credit is really the, the engine that runs this whole operation. And you've got to be extremely careful because of the condition of the banks and where the banks are going right now. Uh, All right, Roger, you know, we're just about out of time. The equity market's down strong today. What are your thoughts, uh, real quickly, in the next uh, few seconds on where do you see the equity market now? Well, it's uh, the S&Ps right now are down at 1034. We said yesterday when they dropped under 1074, it would, it would go down. That's pretty much what happened. I'm looking for more selling, uh, maybe not as deep selling this week, but we're at the end of the quarter, end of the month, and we've got a holiday on Friday through Monday. So I would think that we're going to see some selling now uh, for a serious amount of time. By that, I'm saying four to five weeks. Okay, Roger, thank you for that. We're going to have you back next week, hopefully. Uh, that's all the time we've got this week, folks. Remember our uh, special promotion. You can call Claudio Bossi at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 for our uh, special trial subscriptions. Uh, I want to thank uh, our, our uh, regular uh, people, the supporters of this, uh, of this show, our technical staff, beginning with uh, Tacey Trump, my uh, senior executive, Executive producer Ruben Columbia, my operations manager Justin Jackman, my engineer for making this show logistically possible. I want to remind you we'll be back next week starting our summer season. We're going to have uh, James Perloff. He's the author of a book called The Shadows of Power. If you want to really understand who's behind the American political scene, who calls the shots, you don't want to miss James Perloff next week. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said